0: Welcome to the Safe Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maria Lee, General Practitioner and Medical Advisor in the health regulation sector. I analyze medical errors and clinical incidents for a living. And along the way, I've learned a lot about the principles and the mechanics of safe practice, which I'm hoping to share with you in this podcast. I hope you stay tuned. And if you learn something, please pay it forward and share your knowledge with other clinicians. That way, pod by pod, we can build a safer healthcare system together. Of course, the content and opinions expressed in this podcast are entirely my own, and are not the views of any of the organisations or bodies with which I am affiliated. So without further ado, let's get stuck into some safe practice. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Safe Practice Podcast. Now, in Season 1, Episode 10, we introduced the concept of reflective practice. And that's this notion that, hey, as clinicians, we're all human and it's impossible to do things perfectly all of the time. So in this context, reflective practice is the acknowledgement that when something doesn't go to plan, it's important we reflect on what happened and we adjust our future practice to ensure that the same error is less likely to occur again in future. But theory is always richer when it's grounded in practice. And so today I have with me a fellow general practitioner, Dr. Samantha Sailing, to discuss a few examples of reflective practice in action. Hi Sam, thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast.
1: Hey Maria, thanks for having me. So Sam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a GP. I work in Sydney and I focus on skin and women's health.
0: So we have two clinical scenarios that have been de-identified and modified to protect the innocent, and we're going to run through these to illustrate some critical principles of reflective practice. So I'm gonna start with the first scenario. A father brings his child in to see their GP for that child's routine 12-month vaccines. The procedure goes smoothly, but immediately after administering the vaccines, the GP realizes that she accidentally administered the six-month vaccines instead of the 12-month vaccines. This GP was an experienced general practitioner who had given childhood vaccinations for many years and had never made such an error before. She couldn't actually explain how this had happened, and she was mortified by her error. She immediately informed the father of the child of her mistake, acknowledged full responsibility for the error, and apologized profusely. Then, seeing that the father was quite upset, and understandably so, the GP immediately rang up the public health unit in front of the child's father and requested to speak to the immunisation nurse on call, and confirmed in front of the dad that the child would not be harmed by the additional vaccine doses. And also confirmed the appropriate subsequent interval at which to give the 12 month vaccines now this GP did this not because she thought that giving the six month vaccines would actually harm the child because obviously the same child had had the six month old vaccines six months earlier she did it because she knew that in light of her error simply her reassuring the father that all would be okay would probably not carry as much weight as if she had rang someone in a position of authority and had them deliver the same message now what happened afterwards the fee for the consultation was waived afterwards GP sat down and reflected on what happened and she had a look at the vaccine fridge and realized that there was no particular order to the way the childhood vaccinations were stored. So what she did was she disclosed the incident to her practice manager, and together they reorganized the vaccine fridge so that the vaccines for each age group were assigned their own shelf and their own clearly labeled sign. The GP then reflected on how she could avoid a similar error in future, And she's since implemented a system where even if they are her own long-term patients, she still makes now a habit of reading out the child's age in front of the parents so as to have a second checkpoint. She also now has the childhood vaccination schedule stuck to her wall so that every time she gives a childhood vaccination, she reads out the age of the child, the exact vaccines according to the chart on the wall, and then cross-checks it with the vials of vaccines in front of her. Since adopting this system, she hasn't made another error since. The child was seen by this GP the following week for her 12-month-old vaccines, and these were administered correctly, and the fee for this subsequent consultation was also waived. The parents and that child remained the long-term patients of this GP. So Sam, that's scenario one. Now I hear you have scenario two, which coincidentally is also a scenario that has to do
1: with vaccination. Is that correct? That's correct. So the scenario goes as follows. A mother brings her young son to the doctor for the second dose of a vaccine in a multi-dose schedule. The vaccine is given by the doctor without issue and it is only afterwards that the doctor realizes that the dose was given too early in effect, nullifying its schedule and requiring it to be repeated. To make things more tricky, the vaccine was a private vaccine, which had incurred an out-of-pocket cost for the patient. Furthermore, this particular vaccine tends to give a worse side effect profile compared to others, so the parents of the child were understandably upset. So what happened next? The doctor first immediately disclosed to the parents of the child what had happened. The doctor also called the N-Swiss service.
0: Ah, uh, yes, that's the New South Wales Immunisation Specialist Service, um, and I will link that service in the show notes below. But it's actually a really good service where you can actually call up and speak to an immun- immunisation specialist nurse or an immunisation specialist paediatrician at any time. One thing to know if you are gonna call it is if you don't get through, they also have an email address that you can email and they usually, in my experience, get back to you, if not same day, then next day. So definitely something to keep up your sleeve for those clinicians practicing in New South Wales.
1: Oh yeah, I found that as well. Their email service is very prompt. I found it very helpful in my day-to-day practice. So for anyone in New South Wales, I highly recommend it. Mm. So, other things uh, regarding this case study, if we go back to that, uh, the next thing that the doctor decided to do was to discuss this expert advice with the patient's parents just to ensure that uh, they were reassured. Uh, Another thing is considering the financial aspect of this mistake. So because of this, the patient was required to have a third dose of this vaccine, which was quite expensive. So the doctor wanted to cover this cost as well as waiving the out-of-pocket cost from a doctor fee point of view. The doctor went back to look at why this had happened. The doctor had to discuss this with the practice manager and practice principal, given there was some confusion regarding the recall date. What they figured out was that the recall had been made at the six-week mark when the next dose was due at the eight-week mark. The doctor assumed that the parent would take two weeks to schedule in an appointment. However, they scheduled the appointment for a last-minute spot available that day of the recall and the patient then received the vaccine then and there. The doctor put the recall in too early and did not check at the time of the appointment when the previous dose had been given. So those were two steps that were missed and led to this mistake. In future, the doctor decided to put in recall dates on the day they were due, which would help avoid this mistake being made in the future.
0: So now that we have got these two scenarios, what commonalities can we see between the way the two doctors handled these two incidents?
1: Well, I think the most important thing is that both scenarios You know show none of us are above making mistakes and i think we all have to recognize that we're human and we all are going to make mistakes whether we try our best to never ever do this it will happen at some point it's just part of being human
0: that's a really good point sam i think too often in clinical practice we have this perception that as long as we are appropriately trained and qualified and we are super careful that that can that we can mitigate all error Practice perfectly 100% of the time. And what these examples have shown is that it's impossible to practice without error 100% of the time. I'm not seeing in these scenarios flagrantly unsafe practitioners. We're seeing what sounds like engaged practitioners who truly care about their patients making simple human error. And so that really is the foundation of reflective practice. The acknowledgement up front that none of us are infallible and that all of us are likely to make some sort of error at some point in our careers, most likely at multiple points in our careers. And where to from there? Well, where to from there is not to say I'm a terrible person. I shouldn't be practicing because I made a mistake. Where to from there is to acknowledge that if there's one positive that can come out of this, it's that I'm going to learn from this. To make sure that i mitigate the risk of me making a similar mistake in future
1: yeah that's right you know it's that old saying of the more you know the, re- the more you realize you don't know
0: yes it's the upper end of the uh dunning kruger curve isn't yeah, it that's right the more expert you are at something the more you realize hey This is a lot more complicated than i first thought and i could spend the rest of my life learning and i might never know everything in fact i definitely will not know everything Um, so continuous improvement is not about becoming (laughs) infallible continuous improvement is just about reducing the risk that we make similar mistakes again so we improve based on our errors that's right so if we go back to the scenarios i think the first common factor that both of these doctors did well was that they took accountability for the mishap that had occurred.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's something that you and I know is open disclosure and that's really a nice term for being honest. So making sure that, you know, you're keeping the patients informed what has happened or what needs to happen
0: and I think what was really well done in both situations was that there was an immediate apology.
1: Absolutely.
0: Often clinicians labor under the misconception that you shouldn't say sorry because that might implicate you in some sort of medico legal issue down the track. And what I hope I laid out in season one, episode one of the Safe Practice podcast is that not only is it okay to say sorry, it's recommended that you say sorry if there has been an error. Of course, each individual individual situation is unique, and I would encourage anyone listening to speak to the MDO and get advice specific to your circumstance. But in that episode, I referenced the Open Disclosure Handbook from the Clinical Excellence Commission, which in turn references the Civil Liabilities Act of New South Wales. And if you're not in New South Wales, there are similar legislative protections in every Australian jurisdiction. But what the Civil Liabilities Act of New South Wales states is that evidence of an apology is not admissible in any civil proceedings as evidence of fault or liability. In other words, it's okay to apologise and it's the decent human thing to do to apologise after an error. And this is not just my word. Every MDO out there says the same thing, at least in Australia.
1: Well, just jumping in, I think another thing to note is a lot of the time patients, they wouldn't even realise that a mistake has been made. So part of being an ethical, honest practitioner is even if they wouldn't realise, it's important to disclose that something has happened.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really fantastic point because in these scenarios, both of the doctors could very well have just swept it under the rug and not said anything. Could have gone, oh well, they'll never know. But no, we can't practise like that. We can't just sweep things under the rug to speak to something similar and this is me owning up to one of my own mistakes i actually once gave an adult patient a dose of vaccine but i didn't mix the liquid portion of the vaccine diluent with the powder i actually ended up giving my patient an injection of sterile water now in this situation i could have pretended i'd vaccinated my patient because they wouldn't have known But I did actually tell the patient and say, look, I am so sorry. I I clearly got distracted and forgot to mix the two components of the vaccine together. And what I actually just gave you was an injection of sterile water. And I said, look, my mistake, I fully own it. I'm very sorry. So it speaks to your point that even when the patient wouldn't have known any better, it's important and part of good ethical practice to disclose. Okay, so we've got open disclosure. I think the thing that both of these doctors in our scenarios did really well was then they proceeded to a place of reflection. reflection is not always a solo activity both of these doctors went to a decision maker in their practice and involved that person in the reflection process it wasn't just a matter of what can i identify that i can do better it was hey have a look at this mistake i made what can you tell me about how i can do better so involving another brain in the process
1: Yeah, that's why I I suppose peer reflection and peer support groups uh, in the health profession, it's so useful to be part of one, uh, whether it be practice meetings or just catching up with like-minded colleagues in similar positions the way we do. Um, I think that's a really helpful way to make reflective practice part of your regular routine. So connecting with others and discussing that often can create some support
0: So it might be a case of you think you're telling this person something totally dumb and something that no one else would ever do. And that person might turn around and say, hey, I did that too. It was mortifying. I'm so glad you told me. Now I feel like I can tell you. And then there can be a a process of mutual support and mutual reflection.
1: Yeah, I found that very commonly in the GP community. And I'm sure it happens among all health professionals, we all go through the same uh, situations. So I think it's an important way to connect and reflect.
0: Look, this is not us saying when you reflect, you must involve a second um, person. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just to say that do not be afraid of involving another brain or another several brains because we all have our blind spots. So I could come up with points A, B and C to improve my practice. But then if I had a chat to say you or actually I took it to an M&M meeting. Now, not saying there's M&M meetings in general practice, but we certainly have practice meetings the other people in the room might say look great job identifying a b and c but what about e and f and g and i might not have considered e f and g so not saying you have to involve another person in your reflection but when you do sometimes you broaden your learnings
1: oh i completely agree with you there obviously de-identified and keeping the patient's privacy but when we discuss cases we learn from each other
0: so both of the doctors in these scenarios they undertook meaningful reflection and then the, the really important part is they then took corrective action to improve the safety of their practice and also the safety of the system that they operated, operated in to protect future patients from the same fate
1: that's right and you can't see me furiously nodding uh, it's all about the swiss cheese model and looking at the systemic failures individual failures and how this all leads to a mistake being made. I love what
0: you just said about the Swiss cheese model, because often as perfectionists, we we think that when a mishap has occurred, we now must identify all our personal faults. But as both scenarios have shown, there are systems issues that contribute to mishaps. Because if we just correct ourselves and leave the systems failures uncorrected, there's still a chance that the patient could fall through those cracks with another practitioner. So in a nutshell, reflect on our own deficiencies and improve on those, but also during the reflective process, venture outside yourself and have a look at what happened in the system.
1: That could also be escalating to our medical admin friends and other bodies. Do you have an example? So for example, I remember when I was a junior doctor in the hospital system, things would happen because of staffing not being ideal, Uh, equipment being missing when you needed it, Mm. just things that potentially the governance committees weren't aware of. So it's really important to actually discuss this with them, bring up your concerns and give them the opportunity to reflect on how to make systems better. Mm. It's never going to change if we don't actually bring these issues to attention of those that can actually create wider change.
0: So in summary, we've seen a few principles that have been adopted by both of these doctors that really sit well in this reflective practice framework, and that is taking accountability, engaging in open disclosure, conducting meaningful reflection in the aftermath of the incident, adjusting their practice going forwards and taking corrective action to protect future patients. And when we talk about taking corrective action, this applies both to the individual domain, but also addressing any gaps in the system that may have contributed to this incident happening. And the upshot of all of this hard work in terms of reflective practice is that the same incident is much more unlikely to be repeated again in future and that improves safety for future patients so that in a rather long-winded nutshell is the crux of reflective practice Um, and sam we have been keeping a little bit of a secret haven't we this whole episode
1: yes we have and what's that secret okay so we can reveal that the gp in example one was maria That was me, yes. Yes, and the GP in example two was me. So this is something that happens to all of us, no matter how long you've been working in the field, mistakes happen.
0: Absolutely. So I was the doctor who gave six-month-old vaccines to the 12-month-old patient. Uh, The patient was my long-term patient. That's the embarrassing bit. I (sighs) can't say that they walked in off the street and I didn't know them And I would love to say that that happened in my first week of being a registrar, but it wasn't. I was very deep into my career. I had done this a million times before. So to your point, Sam, you can be experienced, know what you're doing, and you still can't be infallible and practise without error 100% of the time.
1: We're human and this happens to all of us. So uh, if there's one message that we can get across today, is that okay to make a mistake, it's how you deal with it that matters.
0: There's this TED talk that I was watching a while ago. I think it was called Doctors Make Mistakes, Can We Talk About That? It was a senior emergency physician and he got up on the TED stage and basically told the audience multiple stories of how he missed critical pieces of information in patient assessment which led to patient harm. And something he said really stuck with me. He said, the one thing that we never wanna hear from our colleagues when we turn up for a shift is, do you remember patient X? Because do you remember patient X usually is followed by, well, they're back and they're worse. So he said for an emergency physician, turning up to work and having someone tap you on the shoulder and say, do you remember Joe Bloggs is a really horrifying (laughs) way to start your shift. The way he rounded off his TED talk is he said, I'm imperfect. We all are, but the important thing at the end of the day is that we do remember. And by remembering, we aim not to make the same mistake again. So we're getting to the end of this episode on reflective practice, but I guess if I was to sum up this episode in a nutshell, it's to say no matter how qualified, experienced or careful we are, no human is infallible and as clinicians, we are human. So. Reflective practice acknowledges this fact. Reflective practice does not ask for perfection. Instead, it asks us to learn from our mistakes and take corrective action to prevent similar mistakes from being repeated.
1: Yeah, that's right. As you said, it's all about reflecting on events that lead to mistakes and how we can correct these. No one goes into medicine to do any harm We all are here to make our patients' lives better. So if mistakes are made, the question is, what are we going to do to fix it? It's about how you manage it that that makes the difference.
0: I'm going to round off with a quote because I'm just corny that way. Um, There's this excellent quote by Henry Ford, and it's this, the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. And I think that is what reflective practice is all about. Well, I think that we've reached the end of this episode. Sam, I just wanted to thank you so much for giving me your time and your expertise and also your vulnerability. I think our listeners will really connect with the messages that you've been able to share with us today. Thank you for coming.
1: No, thank you for having me and same goes to you. I think it's really uh, helpful to connect with someone so like-minded and making such a big impact in this space. So thanks for having me.
0: And that's the end of another episode of the Safe Practice Podcast. Now, at this point, I'm gonna ask you a favor. If you found the information in this episode helpful, please share it with your colleagues because the more clinicians that know about these principles of safe practice, the better it is for all of us, whether we are practitioners of the health system or as we all inevitably become, consumers of the healthcare system. So that's it from me today. I'm Dr. Maria Lee and this is Dr. Samantha Sailing. Until next time, stay safe.